So if you have your Bible, turn with me with enthusiasm, with purpose, with readiness to this wonderful little letter of 1 Peter that we've been studying. 1 Peter, we're going to pick up the story where we last left off, and that is from verse 18. But as you turn there, let me just pray for us. Ah, glorious God, full of grace and mercy and truth. Lord, we can not even fathom even but the smallest fraction of your incredible, glorious goodness to us. But Lord, I pray that as we turn to your word, would you help us to catch even the smallest glimpse of who you are, of your love for us, of the mercy that you extend towards us. Would you help us to catch a glimpse even of the way that you see our lives, to view things from your perspective. Lord, I thank you that your word never returns void, but as it is sent forth, as your word is proclaimed, it accomplishes your purpose. So through the power of your spirit, Lord, would your word accomplish all that you desire this morning, this day. May it bear a glorious harvest for your glory, that your name would be exalted in our lives in this place and all across the nations of this earth, that you would be lifted high, King Jesus, the King of glory. We pray this in your name. Wonderful name. Amen. Amen. If you came in late, we're headed to 1 Peter, continuing a series, preaching through this wonderful little book, Wonderful. It's like a, a Red Bull of letters. It's just continual, radical encounter with God's grace. Peter, of course, gives us his outline saying that his mission is to exhort and declare true grace. The real deal. The real Red Bull. None of these imitations. These other energy drinks passing off acacia berries and who knows what. Let's move along very quickly. And I have two things on my heart this morning. We have two missions in our time together. One is that I'd like to finish off this passage that we've been in from verse 13 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. We've been detailing what really is one continuous thought. So there's a particular phrase there that we'll look at. And then after that, I want us to step back. See, sometimes when we come to the Word of God, we have a tendency to read to quickly. We're on a mission to read our Bible readings for the day or to get through a chapter or a book and we fail to just rest and to meditate and allow the truth of God's word to really have its full effect in our hearts and lives. But at the same time, it's just equally as important at times to, to stand back and to grasp the big picture of what is Peter trying to say. So we'll do both. We'll finish off this passage and then we will step back and try and just catch the heart of what is it that Peter's going after with this incredible exhortation, declaration of true grace. So for those who haven't been around, remembering that from verses 1 through to verses 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter outlines grace. He outlines this incredible story of what God has done for us, 
of what God has done in us. Verse 13 is the first turning point where he says, Therefore, therefore, because of this grace that he's outlined, this is how it will outwork in your life. This is what God's grace will do through us. And he talks in verse 13 about setting your hope fully, a life drenched in hope. His first command is to hope fully. His concern that we not be little hopers, not half-hearted hopers, not even moderately hopeful hopers. And in fact, that we guard with everything within us this hope that he has given to us. He then goes on in verse 16, verse 17, verse, verse 15 and 16, and he says, be holy. This life of grace is a life of holiness, and we talked about that in some detail saying that holiness is not this place that we reach. We somehow think it's a place that's based on what we do, what we don't do, rules and regulations. But it's really a pursuit of his presence. That in the midst of the passions of ignorance, the broken systems of human endeavor, that we would choose him. We don't fight for holiness. He's made us holy. We fight and we live from holiness. This glorious invitation, this pathway to his promises... That was the picture of holiness. We then looked at verse 17, and Adam uh, detailed this verse last week. It's one of my favorite phrases, verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 1, where he says, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Isn't that a wonderful expression? I love that. Conduct yourselves with fear. Now, fear is a somewhat unfortunate translation. It certainly doesn't mean in the original language what it means for us today, but that word for fear, for fear means awesome reverence it means a true perspective of who he is this glorious gracious god and to live in awe and really if we encounter his grace it's the only way that we can possibly live is in awe in awesome reverence of who he is and then we'll pick up the story or this uh continuing thought from First Peter in verse 18. So noting again that it's a commerce is one continual thought. He's saying this, this, is, this is the life of grace working through you. And he says this, verse 18, First Peter chapter 1, knowing that you were ransomed. Knowing that you were ransomed. Now this word for knowing here doesn't talk about just having an understanding, having some intellectual assent. It talks about continually keeping it before you, continually being aware. can even be translated behold, but not beholding in a past sense, beholding in a present sense. Knowing this continuing knowledge of what? That you were ransomed. We're going to come back and have a look at that word. Let's continue. Ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. And then to conclude the passage, he says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times in these days for the sake of you, who through him are believers, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Full stop. End of thought. Someone say amen. Whew, that only took us a couple of months to get there. 
But let's pause and let's look at this last phrase. Knowing that you were ransomed with his blood. So we've seen grace is this life drenched with hope, a life marked by holiness, a life gripped with wonder and worship and built on his blood or lived in response to his ransom. Remember his ransom. So what is it about this picture of ransomed by the blood of Christ that's important? What is it that Peter is trying to tell us as his concluding exclamation mark on this wonderful passage of Scripture? Well, in all honesty, I'm sure we could think of dozens and dozens of reasons of why this is such a wonderful picture. But I've just got four. Four reasons. Number one, if you're taking notes. This picture of ransom, ransomed by the blood of Christ, is a picture of provision. This picture of ransom is a picture of provision. Ransom is a provision, isn't it? It's something that has been provided for you. You don't pay for your own ransom. Someone else provides that which you need to pay the debt that you owe. And here's the wonderful thought in this whole concept. Well, I think it's a wonderful thought, this whole concept of provision. We read it. If you read on, he says, You're ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, and he, being Christ, being the one who has ransomed us, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. It's manifest now, manifested now. The reality of Christ has come. But he was purposed to be the redeemer before the foundation of the world. So here's the thought. He was a redeemer before he was a creator. Before he'd spoken a word, before the manifestation of that which he would come to do had occurred, before anything else had happened, he was purposed to be a redeemer this is important because so often i think we view redemption we view the work that christ did on the cross as the emergency rescue plan so he created perfection we just messed it up and he went okay we need a plan b what are we going to do we'll have to make provision for their sin there was never a plan b there was only ever a plan a and his plan before the foundation of the world was that he would redeem and ransom a people through the power of his blood. You see, it's the same if you think about this for our lives. So often we think we do well for a while and then we royally mess up. I won't ask for a show of hands. I'm sure it's only me. And then we think, oh, there we go again. I've messed up. I'll have to go and see if there's any blood of Christ left to cover this sin and this mistake. Lord, is there any left? And God says, well, Jesus, what do you think? Can we, can we cover that one? Is there enough in the emergency rescue plan reserves left? But that's not the picture of this glorious gospel. You see, the provision that he made for you, for all of your mistakes, was made prior to you even being born. Now, it's appropriated in the moment. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's some ridiculous theologies about grace saying that we're forgiven of all of our sins before we even come. Don't go down that path. It's ridiculous. It's rubbish. But the provision was made. And then he says it's made manifest in this day. So we are simply appropriating that which was already provided. That's the point that I'm making in his forgiveness. Before you did anything, it was done. And that's an incredibly 
wonderfully freeing thought for this reason. We see right back in the Garden of Eden, when man first sinned, two things happen. First of all, God makes it clear that he was going to provide. It says that he makes clothes out of animal skins for Adam and Eve. He covered their nakedness. He even prophesies. And he prophesies that from the seed of the woman, a Messiah would come. The provision would come. So right from that very first moment, man had royally stuffed up. He said, it's okay. It's okay. I've made provision. But at the same time, so God assures Adam and Eve of his provision, but Adam and Eve go searching for fig leaves. They go searching for anything they can find to cover themselves up to make themselves feel better. Do the right things. Say the right things. Don't do the wrong things. And we develop whole religious systems around fig leaves. You see, it's no wonder that we get so tired, burned out, exhausted, striving, unfulfilled, dissatisfied, and sometimes we're worse in the church here than we are outside the church. Because we get all the usual stresses of life, and then we come here and we say, oh, we've got to pray more, we've got to do more, we've got to serve more, we've got to witness more, we've got to work, work, work. We've got to keep trying, keep slaving. This is something that is comfortable for us about slaving away to earn forgiveness. You could never earn forgiveness if you tried. And his blood says to us, before you did anything, it's done. It's done. Peter had talked earlier in chapter 1, he talks about, I love this phrase. He says, you rejoice with inexpressible joy filled with glory. That's the promise of new birth. And as I said when we covered that passage earlier, how many would say, well, absolutely, that's a picture of my life right there. It's just joy, it's inexpressible, my life's full of glory. Glory to God. You know, sometimes it's not because we're striving to live and to earn that place. That's not a place that you can ever get to. It's only ever a place that you can live from. You can never strive to live for forgiveness. You can only live from forgiveness. And there is a big difference. The blood of Jesus Christ says before you ever did anything, it was done. All you can do is receive it and rejoice in it and dance in this joy that is inexpressible at the provision that he has made for you and for me. See, how often do we hear these voices? You aren't good enough. You're not going to make it. You'll never change. You will never measure up. And Satan is called in Scripture the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. It's his full-time profession. He sits there with accusations, accusations. You're not, you're not good enough. You're never going to make it. You'll never measure up. See, here is the wonderful picture of the ransom of Jesus' blood. When no one else would come to your defense, he came. You and I were caught in the midst of our sin and our stupidity, our immorality, our dishonesty. And he stooped down so low, low enough to be whipped and beaten and hung upon a cross, spat upon, called every name in the book. Why? That he might lift us up. That he might pay for our every sin. Every accusation trumped. Every ounce of our unworthiness conquered 
by his worthiness. You see, we have in those moments, we have the trump card. It's his blood. Let's move on. Before you did anything, anything good or anything bad, it was already done. My hope is in his blood. So the ransom is his provision. Number two, the ransom speaks to us of price. That's what it is, isn't it? It's a price that was paid. Nod your heads. Yes, that was, that's, that's just truth. That's fact. Here's the reality of that fact. If God paid for you, you must be worth paying for. If God loved you, you must be worth loving. If God wants you, wants you, he paid your ransom, not just our ransom. It wasn't just, well, I'll take the whole world and I'll put up with these few. He paid your ransom. He said, you, you were worth it. If he wants you, then you must be worth wanting. You see, I have not met a person yet on the planet who doesn't, at some point in their life, struggle with a sense of self-worth. Am I really worthy? Am I worth anything? Am I really lovable? If ever you have that moment, look to his blood. Because it speaks of his incredible price. It speaks of the value that he puts upon your life. And here's another wonderful thought about this. You see, well, how did he pay our ransom? Because we all know that grace is a gift. Not again. Grace is a gift. Yes, grace is a gift. What's the gift? What's the gift that he's given us? The gift is himself. He didn't come to save us with principles, with process, with anything else. He came to save us with his blood. He is the gift. He is the gift. Nothing compares to the gift. You see, grace is not just a principle. It's a person. It's Jesus saying, here I am giving myself to you as a gift because I count you worthy. And grace changes everything because he changes everything. Grace empowers because he is the empowering one. Grace sets us free because he is freedom. Just allow that reality. Just allow it. Even now. Just allow that reality to saturate your heart with this deep, satisfying confidence. See yourself for what you truly are. In his eyes, you are worthy. You are loved. The ransom speaks of price. The ransom speaks of purpose. It's okay, well, he paid the price. He made the provision. What for? Why? What was his motivation? Well, it says right here that he has ransomed you from the futile ways Inherited from your forefathers. From futility. Well, from futility to what? Well, we've got to go back and see the context. Remembering this is a continual thought. And the beginning of verse 17, he says this, And if you call on him as father. Now, he's already talked in verse 3 about the fact that God is our father. Blessed be God, who is our father. And so really, a better translation of verse 17 is not, And if you call on him, it should be, And since. And since you do call on him as father, and since you know that this eternal God, he has caused you to be born again, 
so that you are now his sons and daughters. And since he is your father, remember that he has ransomed you from futility to a family, from futility to a father. It's an incredible picture of his purpose. My wife and I this week went to see a, a movie. It's still currently out at the theatres called Lion. Has anyone seen the movie Lion? A lot of people have seen it. I won't try and give away too much in case you haven't seen it yet. A really good movie. Very simple, but uh, very pertinent. And some of it is set in Australia. Well, there's actors from Australia. It's based in Tasmania. It's close enough to Australia. Very bad joke. Sorry. Had to put it in there. I'm sorry. But it's been an incredibly popular movie. It's just a very simple plot of a young boy who's taken from his home, taken to Australia. He grows up in an adopted family with everything that life could offer. He has you know, wealth and good education. But there is this longing in his heart. And he struggles. He, he doesn't even know at the beginning, what, what, is it, what is it that I'm missing? I don't know. He's frustrated. And then he manages to, to sort of put his finger on it. And he says, I found it. I need to find home. I need to find home. And so that begins a journey when he travels back to India to find his roots and to find home. Why is it that that movie has been so popular? I would suggest this, that there is one longing in the human heart, perhaps above everything else, and that's a longing for us to find home. The reality is that we were separated at birth, we were born into a world of sin, which has separated us from our true identity, from our true home, from our Father. And there is this longing in our human heart to find home. Most of the time, we don't even know. We struggle, we wrestle. Well, what is it? You know, what, what is this, this thing I feel like I'm missing? It's part of my identity. And we try and we struggle. We look to success, we look to money, wealth, power, influence, relationships, whatever it might be, to try and fill this longing. But it's a longing for a family. And his blood is the call back home. You have worth, but you have purpose. You have been ransomed from futility. The reality is, without God, it's a futile search. You can search wherever you want. But without God, it is futility. But he has ransomed us from futility to a family, to a father. So it's not just a price, it's a purpose. And this ransom also speaks of the power of his blood. He says, remember this, that you're ransomed, not by perishable things. I mean, that would be wonderful if someone paid a million dollars, two million dollars, but money will fade away. Anything in this life will fade away. But he says, you're not purchased with anything perishable. You're purchased with the one thing that will endure for all eternity. And you can build your life on this. You are purchased with the blood of Christ. With his blood. It's a finished work. It's done. It's eternal. It will not fade. It will not falter. Now our power. The secret source of the Christian life. It's never in here. Despite so many of the preachers and messages you hear, it's never, it's never here. It's not just declaring. It's not just finding things in yourself. Not that all that's bad. But it's always has been and it always will be 
in his blood, in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our strength. That is our source. That is the power of the Christian life. The certainty of his blood is what we build our lives upon. So grace is this life drenched with hope. It's marked by holiness. It's gripped with wonder and worship. And it's built upon his blood or it's lived as a response to his ransom. Amen? But you get two for one this morning. We're not finished yet. So we finished this passage. And what I want to do briefly is to take a step back. Remembering that this is one flow of thought in 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 13 onwards. Where he's setting up this work of grace in us or through us. So... If you've got your Bible still in front of you, let's have a look then at how we'd set it up and come back and say, well, what is it that is the heart of what Peter is saying? Verse 13, remember, he said, prepare your minds, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on grace, this radical grace that we've spent some weeks now exploring all these incredible phrases, holiness and hope and his blood and all these incredible aspects of the outworking of grace in our lives But he's saying this, set your hope fully on grace. Now, I don't think in any way there he's saying, try to arrive at a right understanding of grace. Try and intellectually study this and process it. There's something more. He's saying your hope, the fuel that fires your life, your passion, let it be this thing of grace. Now, Peter in chapter 5, verse 12, remember his mission statement for writing this letter. He said to exhort, but also to declare. Now, that word for declare literally means to testify, or it means to establish by testimony. See, he's not just wanting to teach about grace. I mean, that's wonderful in and of itself, and probably most of us would say, yeah, well, we've heard sermons on grace. We sort of know at least a part, probably lots of us know much about grace. Heard wonderful messages. But this is going deeper than just knowing about principles. What Peter's really saying is, I want you to understand the power of grace. The power that's transformed my life. This power that will ignite and will fuel your hope and your purpose and your mission. You see, Peter's not so much asking the question, now, do you know what grace is? I don't believe he's even asking the question, have you experienced it? Now, grace is wonderful to experience, but I think he's really asking, not have you got this grace, but has grace got you? Has it got a hold of you? Has it changed you? Has it transformed you? Has it emboldened you? Has it refreshed you? Has it left you ruined for everything else other than his glorious grace? You see, there's something about grace that's so magnificent that it puts everything finally in its right perspective. It puts God in his rightful place. It puts us in our rightful place. It releases his power, his provision in our lives. The illustration I use is this, which I've used before. I apologize if you've already heard it. But my wife and I, some years ago now, we, this is pre-kids, we decided to do a trip of Europe. We traveled around. We saw some places ourselves. And we joined this particular bus tour for a part of our trip that was called Budget Expeditions. It's got a ring to it, doesn't it? Let's just say it lived up to its name in every sense of the word. So we were camping. I mean, the bus broke down. We're stuck by the side of the road. The tents leaked. 
the mattresses went flat, the food, everybody took turns to cook. Let's just say there was whole new food groups discovered as these people from around the world attempted to prepare my dinner. I wasn't happy. And so I, I have, I know this will shock you, I have a tendency to grumble at times, to get frustrated, to just get caught up in, <sighs> nobody else is like that, I know. But we had this moment in the trip and I'd been grumbling for a little while at this particular point. And this stretch of the journey, we travelled through the day. I think the bus had broken down. So very late at night, early in the morning, we'd arrived. And it was in the middle of this little pristine valley in the middle of the Swiss Alps. If you've been to the Swiss Alps, you'll know there's just, there is no way that I can describe it to you. But I was grumbling. We'd set up the tent. I'd attempted numerous times to pump up my mattress with some frustration. I had a very uncomfortable sleep, just grumbling and moaning. Slept fitfully all night. Are you feeling sorry for me yet? Compassion. But the next morning, I woke up, saw back, and I peeled back the, uh, the front flaps. Fortunately, there was no rain. It hadn't leaked. To just peek at where we were, because we'd arrived in the dark. I hadn't got my bearings in terms of where we were. And it was one of the most breathtaking moments of my life. As I peeled back this little tent, I saw that we were in this pristine valley, there was a little river flowing through with this pure water as only mountain streams can be. It was just after the wet season. There were six or seven waterfalls cascading around, beautiful green scenery, flowers, these mountains that were awe-inspiring and breathtaking. I don't think I said anything for I don't know how long. I was just in awe. I said, sweetheart, you've got to see this. This is incredible. Just behold the beauty of the majesty that is surrounding us. Well, it's funny because I didn't complain once about the tent or the mattress. In the three days that we spent in this beautiful valley, we'd explored up high in the hills, and it was just the most incredible time of my life. I didn't think once. I thought, Lord, I'd sleep on a bed of nails if I could be here in the midst of this incredible beauty. All of a sudden, it was like things gained their proper perspective. And I, I use that illustration for this reason. So often we spend our lives complaining, miserable, like, God, how can there be a God when my mattress goes flat and my tent leaks? There's this miserable food and the bus broke down again and oh, where are you, Lord? And then all it takes is just a moment to gaze upon his beauty. And I'm not talking about the beauty of mountains. I mean, the beauty of mountains are one thing. But you spend a moment gazing into the beauty of the eyes of the King of Glory. His eyes of perfect love. Just a moment. Just behold him for a moment. And watch how all of a sudden everything gains its proper perspective. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. And as we behold him, we are transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. What a promise that is. You become like what you Behold. 
And I say that for this reason. This, I believe, is what Peter's heart is. We're not trying to be a people who get grace, who understand it. We're trying to be a people who allow his grace to grab hold of us in a way that will leave you totally transformed and continually being transformed from one image of glory to another. You see, there is a people. It's that that we're after. There's a people that are going to change the world. This grace, it refreshes, it reinvigorates, it radically transforms. Now, how many of us are feeling tired? We're feeling uninspired. We're feeling, well, lack of motivation. Maybe you need to just lift up your eyes this morning and catch a fresh glimpse of his incredible grace. How many of us are grumbling and complaining? All we can see is the broken mattresses and the dirty camp food and the broken bus. Maybe we need to just lift up our eyes and allow his grace to grab a hold of us again. How many of us are wondering whether the victory will ever come? We're struggling with the same issues, living in defeat. It's His grace. How many of us are in a place of no hope, broken, not even able to see past the sorrows of tomorrow? Here's a promise, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul, in the midst of his suffering, the Lord speaks to him and says, Paul, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. It's enough. My grace is what you need because my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, this grace is perfected not in the midst of our strength, but in the midst of our weakness. You are in a good place to allow his grace to grab a hold of you if you're in that place of weakness this morning. So I'm not asking this morning if you got grace. We've studied it for some time. But I want to give us a moment this morning for grace again to grab a hold of our hearts. That's what I believe uh, Peter is encouraging us through this wonderful passage in the letter to First Peter. And so we're going to finish this morning. I know we've already run out of time, but there's no rush with this. What I want to do is invite the musicians to come back. And we're going to take communion. And so often we take communion, we do it by standing around and there's a wonderful aspect to doing that because we're all family and we're doing it together but i want to take communion in this way this morning as an opportunity for you and the lord just between you and him just remembering him as you take the cup remembering his blood all that that means the price that he paid the provision that he's made the purpose that he has for your life the power at work in you as you take his body just remember that he is the God who's broken for you. And allow in that place of remembering for his grace again to grab a hold of each of us. That we would live in that place of glorious grace. Caught up in awe and wonder the majesty of who he is. So when you're ready, we're going to do it this way. The pastors and if the elders who are here can help as well and board. I would invite you to come when you're ready. There's no rush. You can sit there just with the Lord. But when you are ready to take communion, just come and kneel. Just kneel in lines. You can come and kneel along here. You can kneel in lines along here. And as you come and kneel, we'll bring you the elements. We'll bring you the bread and the cup. And you just allow the Lord, just as you remember Him, as you honor Him, 
Just allow him to capture your heart fresh. Just stay there as long as you need. I don't mind. We'll block the church later. If you want to just allow him space to capture your heart afresh, do that this morning. And if you do want prayer, so come and kneel and have communion. If you want prayer after you take communion, just stand. You might find that the Lord answers whatever your prayer need is just in that place of communion. But if you come and you stand at the front, there'll be a prayer team who will come and pray with you. So let me pray for us. And then it's just open and it's up to you in your own time to come forward. So Lord, we just thank you for this space. And I pray that this would be a holy moment right now. God, we've heard your word proclaimed. We've heard this glorious picture of your true grace. It's not so, something so much that we get, but it's something that gets a hold of us. And I just play, pray that this would be a moment where you capture hearts. A moment where you grab such a hold of us with your grace that you leave us completely changed. Ruined for anything else. A holy moment, we pray, as we just remember you, as we honor you, as we thank you for your blood. Ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. So just come Holy Spirit. We just give you room. You come and do whatever you got to do. We love you invite you. We honor you. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So when you're ready, you come. We'll bring you communion out. I'm going to get you to Every chain 
You never fail. You are my hope. 